Hey, it's Sam Roberts. Thanks for checking out the show on this, our 400th episode of Not Sam Wrestling. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do it, and it won't cost you nothing. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. Make sure you download the episode every single week. If you're listening on Apple, you can leave a rating and a review. Five stars make it nice. If you're listening on Spotify, just click the five-star rating and make it real, real easy for you. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. We put new content up every single week, mostly youtube.com slash Wrestling and if you want to go the extra mile, get some extra content. We do bonus shows every single week. We do Zoom conversations. I post the live video of every single podcast. We have a Discord. If you want access to all of that, become a Not Sam Shill by signing up on Patreon. Starts at less than a dollar a week. Patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. Become a Not Sam Shill or don't. Just enjoy today's show. Thank you. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, some of the biggest news to hit the WWE and the history of the industry hit over the last couple of days, and it hit just in time for us to reach episode 400 of this podcast. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Wow, wow, wow. For the 400th week in a row, welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Thank you for being here. I can't believe it has been 400 weeks in October of what was it? 2014, I want to say. October of 2014. We launched this show with episode one. And for the last 400 weeks, because this is episode 400, it's not the 400th show. We're not counting the bonuses, the bi-weekly shows, the Patreon shows, all this stuff on YouTube, all that other content, every other Not Sam or Sam Roberts related show, all of that is on the side. Weekly Not Sam Wrestling Podcasts. This is episode 400. If today is your first time listening and you'd like to go back and listening to and listen to the entire catalog, you have 399 weeks to make up for. And the math adds up, man. October of 2014, that means a few months from now in October, we will have been doing this show for eight years. And uh, later on, towards the end of today's episode, uh, I'll read some emails and stuff from some of you guys that wrote in. Uh, but what what a trip it has been so far and will continue to be long after the end of this episode 400. It, it, is, it has been so cool to be able to have this podcast as a place to talk to you guys uh, every single week as the wrestling world has, has kind of changed and molded and shifted. I mean, it was a different landscape entirely. It didn't look even remotely similar eight years ago, and here we are kind of tracking the history in real time. It's an amazing thing. I've had the opportunity to talk to some incredible people, incredible people over the last eight years that had I not had this podcast and had you not guys not been listening to it, I never would have had that opportunity. Some of the interviews that I've done, some of the, the impact that the podcast has made throughout the wrestling world. 
I mean, the beginning of the whole Sam Roberts is a WWE shill. That started long before I was actually a WWE shill. I hadn't cashed one check from WWE. Sam Roberts is a WWE shill was a Reddit thread that changed the world. And it was all because of this podcast, what started as Sam Roberts wrestling podcast. And actually, I believe I want to say 200 episodes ago at a, at a live show at Caroline's on Broadway, which if I remember correctly, featured Dalton Castle, Pat McAfee, Bruce Pritchard, maybe even Corey Graves. If that's the show that I'm remembering as the 200th episode, that was the big transition over to Not Sam Wrestling. We've hit the halfway point. We have just as many weeks as Not Sam Wrestling as we did as Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. We've gone from boo the bad guys to be worked. It's an amazing time, and we'll talk about the podcast a little bit more later on. Is I don't think that this isn't the Not Sam Wrestling well, it would, this isn't the Not Sam, Not Sam Wrestling podcast. This is the Not Sam Wrestling podcast. We don't talk about ourselves. We talk about wrestling. And we lost a couple of icons, uh, I do want to say, over the weekend, I think, in, in, in short order, within a, a day or two of each other. Um, it's interesting. I think it was either last week or the week before uh, I opened up the mailbag there and somebody asked about Earl Hepner being a Hall of Famer. And I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, because... We don't really talk about the iconic referees nearly enough, but everybody everybody remembers the referees. Everybody knows the referees' names. Everybody everybody associates certain referees with certain eras, and we lost two icons over the weekend. Uh, first was Dave Hepner, Earl's brother, uh, Dave Hepner. I believe he passed away in his, I believe he was 73. He was in his early 70s, I believe. And uh, Dave Hepner, of course, uh, very sad to see him go. The Hepner twins were probably as iconic as any two wrestling referees have ever been. You know, they were the best bumpers. They were the best shover backers. They were the best everything. Uh, Earl Hepner kind of took over the referee duties of Dave Hepner. Dave Hepner was the original kind of known WWE referee. As a matter of fact, Dave Hepner... I believe was the referee for the WrestleMania three match between Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat. Uh, but really kind of the world became familiar with Dave Hepner when he was refereeing uh, the, the tag team match on, on the main event show between, uh, Oh, it wasn't a tag team match. It was a, it was a one-on-one -on -one match. It was Andre the giant versus Hulk Hogan. Uh, Dave, Hepner was supposed to be the referee. He, of course, looked the other way, fast counted, allowed Andre the Giant to win the title from Hulk Hogan. Only so that Andre could then sell the WWE championship immediately to the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase. Now, the whole plan was foiled because we found out that that was not Dave Hepner at all in the ring. We would later find out that was Earl Hepner in the ring. Dave ran out after being tied up backstage as if to say, hey, that's not me. We never knew that Dave had a twin brother. So, I mean, it, we, we, were, we were awestruck. What the hell is going on? 
And we found out that the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, had paid a crooked official to not only allow Andre to win the match so that he could buy the title from Andre, but to get plastic surgery so that he may look exactly like referee Dave Hepner. Uh, Dave would end up uh, leaving the world of, of refereeing matches as Earl took over, and Dave became uh, a backstage uh, official. You know, he would come out to break up the fights and everything, and it was always fun when he did. Because there's always, like, you'd know Earl from the ring, and Dave was the guy who wore the suit jacket after the fact. You know, in the beginning, Dave was the guy who wore the referee shirt. But eventually, especially, like, you know, into the into the mid and late 90s, Earl was the one that was in the ring, and Dave was the one coming out in the suit jacket. So rest in peace to Dave Hepner. And, of course, we also lost another iconic referee. This referee who, uh, wa while he was a referee earlier on, I think that uh, most of our memories of him officiating matches come from uh, probably the Attitude Era. There's, uh, there's lots of, he refereed tons of matches before the Attitude Era, but that, I think, is when we kind of knew him as, a, as, a, as an everyday ref. That, that was referee Tim White. We lost Tim White and uh, Tim White, of course, uh, not only was a referee that you you couldn't miss, you know, he had the buzz cut and the well-kept beard and everything. He was also somebody who, if you watch the Andre the Giant documentary on HBO or have heard any Andre the Giant stories, you came to know him as, as kind of Andre's guy, Andre's travel companion, Andre's uh, right-hand man. Andre the Giant was notorious for not liking a lot of people. And Tim White was one that he loved. Tim White uh, and him became like family. And that's not hard to believe because you won't find a person that says an unkind word about Timmy White. Tim White uh, also started a web series, The Many Deaths of Tim White. I think the WWE was trying to cash in on the South Park, uh, oh my God, they killed Kenny thing, uh, you know in the weird kind of post-Attitude Era, pre-Ruthless Aggression Era. But Tim White uh, ended up being a, a, a kind of a, a, I don't know what the title would be, but a superstar companion for signings and stuff. Every signing, Tim White would be there. Like if you guys ever went to a ringside fest, for example, you know, Ringside Collectibles has done ringside fest every year at Caroline's. And most years... Tim White would be there accompanying the WWE superstars uh, to their signings and making sure that everybody stayed on time, nobody got too rowdy, but everybody had a good time. And it was really interesting because, like, you know, I'm one of these geeks that anybody that's been on WWE TV, I mark out for. And so I remember the first time I saw Tim White was at one of these signings, and I was like, oh, my God, Tim White is here too. I knew exactly who he was immediately. That's so cool. And... Then, like, I, I first got to know, and I only knew him a very little bit, like, hellos in passing, you know. But I knew him a, a very little bit because he would recognize me from all the signings that I would go to when I started trying to get interviews, right? So the first time I ever interacted with him, I'm sure I was just there as a fan at a signing. He wouldn't have remembered me. But then I started showing up at all these signings early on in my uh, pro wrestling broadcasting career to try to get interviews with the guys. So Tim White would be the guy, hey, you know, they said it'd be okay if I got this. Oh, yeah, 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 we got to get to a show. We got to get to a show after this. He's got to finish up the line, but we're going to try to get you in, blah, blah, blah. And he would always do it. He would always make sure that we stayed on time, and he would always take his duties seriously, but he would also not be that dick who would be like, ah, we don't have time for you. Like, he would always get it done. 
And then eventually, as I graduated on, I would, you know, start seeing him backstage at shows and stuff. And he, I remember at the very beginning, like like a lot of people, I think, kind of had this look. Like, I remember you as the guy trying to, you know, hustle your way into interviews. What are you doing backstage here at these shows? But it was like, hey. And uh, yeah, yeah. And got to become a little bit friendly with him. Last time I saw him, as a matter of fact, I believe, was backstage this year at WrestleMania. Got to say hello. Uh, but he was really... He was a really sweet guy. Anybody that spent any time with him just just has lovely stories to tell about this guy. And he was also, I mean, a walking piece of history. The, the experiences that this guy had in his head, and this is one of the reasons I'm so grateful for podcasts and YouTube interviews and stuff like that. And this is also one of the reasons why I think that, that people should feel good sharing their stories and not being bitter about anything. Just share your stories because there's all this history that people have inside them, especially in wrestling, that I think needs to be documented. There's so much professional wrestling history that is not properly documented because wrestling was always so secretive. And even now, because wrestling is not taken seriously still, that so much of our historical information is second and third hand rumors and this and that. Thank God so much more is on tape now. So you can at least watch the matches. But I mean, my God, anybody that's got that kind of stuff that that traveled the roads with Andre and, and was a part of the WWE as long as he was and accompanied so many. Because that's the key, right? When you're working those signings with superstars, accompanied so many superstars to so many different signings and worked so many shows himself. There is a, just, just, just a wealth, an encyclopedia of history that existed within this person. And, and, and like, those are the stories you just want to get on record so that generations upon generations upon generations can have them. So hopefully that is the case. Uh, I'm really glad he was part of the great Andre doc that Bill Simmons did on HBO and, uh, Rest in peace to both Tim White and Dave Hepner, two icons of officiating, something that I do hope at some point WWE acknowledges in the Hall of Fame, whether that be for uh, uh, Earl Hepner, I think Mike Chioda be belongs in there, um, uh, Joey Morella, referee Joey Morella, the late son of the late Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, he was definitely a Hall of Fame referee for a period of time. Dangerous Danny Davis. Became a competitor, but he was the only guy to be a referee. Then he became a wrestler. Then he went back to being a referee. There's so many that I think, you know, deserve to be in there that we have barely brushed the surface. Nick Patrick. Nick Patrick. Get him in there. There should absolutely be referees in the WWE Hall of Fame. They just just have contributed uh, so, so much. Um, of course... We also got the big news uh, coming off of SmackDown. At the end, we'll talk about the beginning in a minute, but at the end of SmackDown that we were going to get Roman versus Brock Lesnar again at SummerSlam. Uh, Roman Reigns beat Riddle, which I almost feel like it would have been an interesting time to just throw the title on Riddle and, and knock everybody for a loop. It feels like with the controversy that's surrounding WWE, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, as well as the fact that they've lost Randy Orton, they've lost Cody Rhodes, Roman Reigns is working a lighter schedule. It feels like there is a prime opportunity to just throw stuff at the wall, like do things that nobody sees coming 
and see if it works. You know, allow people to have sink or swim moments. I think now more than ever is a time that WWE uh, should be allowing people to have sink or swim moments. I think Riddle is one of those people. I think it would have been really interesting uh, to see Riddle out of nowhere be the guy to pin Roman Reigns, have Roman go away for a while and maybe surprise people coming back at SummerSlam. Maybe do Riddle versus Lesnar at SummerSlam. You know, I, I, I also think that if, if you're going to bring, bring Brock Lesnar out, when he went to shake Roman Reigns' hand, I almost think you should have done the handshake. You know, make it seem like Roman and Brock have, have joined forces. I think there is room for another Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns match, but I think the next Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns match has to be led up to, and I said this going into WrestleMania. I, I, I would have, the move is to have Brock and Roman as a tag team. To have Brock and Roman as a team that just bullies through the entire WWE roster. And I'm sure with Randy Orton being gone on top of Cody Rhodes that this is this is throwing everything for a loop creatively. And that they need to have a main event at SummerSlam that's going to fill a stadium. I get it. I get it. But I also, you know, wish that that you would instead spend the time turning Drew McIntyre, Seth Rollins, Riddle, you know, those guys into stars that can be the next Roman Reigns, the next Cody Rhodes, the next Randy Orton, because you need it. You know, you need it. And I think that that's the direction. Now, Paul Heyman, I didn't see this. So Lesnar comes out, beats up Roman. Then on social, they announced that the main event for SummerSlam is going to be Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. I would assume that means that Roman Reigns is not defending the title at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view in Las Vegas in two weeks. So uh, I, I then, I didn't see this on an official WWE account, but on Paul Heyman's Instagram, it said that Roman versus Brock was going to be a last man standing match, which adding a last man standing stipulation certainly does add a level of interest to the match, right? Because you are struggling. We're all struggling. Even the most optimistic among us are struggling to say, okay, why do we need another Brock Roman match this time? You could make the case for it. Uh, when was it? At the Crown Jewel pay-per-view, I guess, last year? Because Brock and Roman were two different people leading up to a Brock Roman match. Like, yeah, this makes sense to do now. Heyman turned on Lesnar. Okay, so they need another match. But we've now gone through all of that, and Roman Reigns beat Brock Lesnar. When Roman Reigns said he's beaten everybody, Brock Lesnar is not one of the guys he hasn't beaten. You know? I mean, Roman Reigns, in canon, has plenty of reason to sit there and go, why do I need to keep beating Brock Lesnar? How many times do I have to beat Brock Lesnar before he's out of my life? I think that that's a perfectly reasonable question for the Roman Reigns character at this point, to have to ask. Hopefully it gets answered for us because if you ask me right now as a fan watching the story, why does Roman Reigns have to fight Brock Lesnar again? I can't tell you other than why well, he's Brock Lesnar. But I would like a little more meat on that bone. Don't make me say, well, he's Brock Lesnar. Don't make me justify this that way because that's a very shallow explanation. Give me a reason. Last man standing, it's a stipulation, but why? Why does Roman have to do this? In the UFC, if you beat a guy a couple of times in a row, you don't need another 
but you've already proven it. The guy goes down. He's got to work his way back up. You know, I kind of wish you would, maybe you don't have Roman on shows. Maybe you don't have Roman for matches long enough for you to do a tag team angle only to have it blow up and then lead to a SummerSlam main event between Brock and Roman. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, if I were betting man, I would guess that we're getting Brock versus Roman and Pat McAfee versus Baron Corbin, at least at SummerSlam. And, you know, of course, the opportunity is right there to redo the Seth Rollins cash in, have Seth Rollins win money in the bank. Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns, Seth cashes in, but it's almost like, yeah, I guess. But why? You know what I mean? Like, does that excite you? I don't know if it, it's, today, I don't know if it excites me. I don't know. But it's been a weird week, you know? Uh, when these big stories break, and something that I like, you know, we're talking this, the 400th episode of the podcast. Uh, I, I, I love the way the podcast has evolved. You know, when the podcast first started every week, it was uh, an interview and then uh, a 20-minute a segment or so on the state of wrestling. Half the podcast was an interview. Half the podcast was topical stuff. Then, you know, I started stretching out. Maybe I don't need to do an interview every week. Maybe I need to do longer interviews, whatever. And we've gotten to a point now where it's like, if I'm going to do an interview, I like it to have a little bit of length. I like it to be in person. I don't need an interview done every single week. We've interviewed everybody there is. And quite frankly, there are so many interviews happening these days. When the podcast first started, you weren't seeing wrestlers get interviewed all the time. Now, everybody's got a podcast. The minute anybody leaves WWE, they've not only are they have they done every podcast, but they've got a podcast on their own that literally tells every story you could possibly want to hear in the, in the most depth imaginable. So it's like, okay, I'll still talk to people. I still love talking to people. I still love picking brains of professional wrestlers. I love uh, bringing on the independent talent that I've brought on here. You know, uh, I still love talking to WWE guys. I always will. But I also like the fact that I can I can bring you guys into my brain a little bit more and we can we can we can get into exploring the things that I'm exploring mentally. You know, I think a lot about this stuff, this wrestling stuff. When big stories happen, when big, big angles are happening, one person can say a little thing that plants a seed in my brain and I am off to the races, as was the case last week when it was, you know, the John Cena, is he the goat conversation? Which, by the way, that segment is available on the YouTube uh, channel, youtube.com slash wrestling. But like two weeks ago, it was MJF and CM Punk. Uh, and I ended up writing an essay about it. Last week, it was John Cena. That one was off the top of the head. But this week, everything that happened uh, this week and really in the last uh, however many days, um, it got, it, it, it sloshed around a lot in my head, man. I, uh... Actually, I, I I flew out to Tampa on Thursday night. I had to go to a watch store in Tampa to buy a watch. But on Thursday uh, afternoon, I guess, I flew out to Tampa with sort of every all the upheaval happening in WWE. On, on Friday, I woke up in Tampa first to the news that, uh, you know, Vince was stepping down, the news that Stephanie was coming back, and then... Of course, the news that, that Vince was going to be on SmackDown. And, and and from that point on, like, my brain just started going and going and going. The whole time I was in Tampa, I was thinking about it. The whole flight home, watching SmackDown, the way Vince came out, I was thinking about it. And 
And this is kind of what I thought. Bear with me for a second because, you know, <clears throat> what a week it's been. Really, it was three days. First news of a corporate scandal that rocked the very foundation of the WWE and its board of directors. Feeling like it came out of an HBO drama that was too insane to be taken seriously. Speculation from those who usually reserve it for who would be the next WWE champion raced like wildfire. Wrestling fans, experts, pundits, and everyone in between began to question the very future of the WWE. Accusations ran all the way up to the top to Vince McMahon himself. With as much change from an executive standpoint as had happened in the WWE in the last couple of years, what on earth was going to happen next? Tweets read like the poster from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Who will survive and what will be left of them? Mainstream outlets reported on the investigation and accusations. First, in the Wall Street Journal, then quickly onto CNN, Fox News, CNBC, and everywhere else. News platforms that generally ignore professional wrestling found a story full of corporate intrigue and sex that fell into the salacious intersection of entertainment, sports, and famous billionaires. How do you not report on it? And in this absurd world of sports entertainment fandom, we were all left making judgments on actions and characters that were a mix of real life and fiction. A line that has been so blurred, a lot of people involved don't know where one ends and the other begins. While a lot of us may not have a ton of experience in boardrooms and will never know what is truly going on behind closed doors as fans, we all have a perspective on what happened next. On Friday morning, it was announced that Vince McMahon would be doing what on paper is unthinkable. Stepping down as chairman and CEO of WWE. He would remain in charge of the creative of the television show. But while the investigation goes on, a new interim CEO and chair woman would take the old man's seat. After taking a shocking leave of absence from the WWE about a month ago, Stephanie McMahon returned to the WWE to take the throne. While most of us were still recklessly speculating on why Stephanie left in the first place, she's already back. And now she's the CEO. If the ramifications surrounding all this weren't so very real, it would literally be the greatest storyline in the history of WWE. It's something right out of succession, only better because it's wrestling. Stephanie is theoretically a great person to take the seat. WWE is as a unique a business as can exist. There may not be an executive on the planet that could wrap their head around what the WWE truly is for years after they took the seat. Stephanie, however, grew up in it. Stephanie is a woman who has not only been on list after list of business leaders, but on a creative level, regardless of criticism, spearheaded so much of the female-centric sports entertainment that has become commonplace in WWE. And she's made the product better for everybody. Stephanie is also a McMahon. Like Apple, Amazon, Tesla, and others, 
WWE is a company completely linked to its singular figurehead. Even with the passing of Steve Jobs, everything Apple does is in his image. As stable a company as WWE is, ironically, one of the things that could make it unstable is not having a McMahon in charge. What makes this really fascinating is that for decades now, basically since the McMahon-Helmsley storyline and reality started blurring in the late 90s and early 2000s, WWE fans have been speculating as to who will one day take over the organization in real life. First, it was obviously Shane. Then Shane McMahon left wrestling altogether and the path seemed primed for Stephanie McMahon and her husband, Triple H, until Shane McMahon came back. Rumors of a backstage power struggle permeated the wrestling internet. Was Shane in real life? Back to take what was his? Will Triple H and Stephanie's road to the top be more difficult to navigate? Oh yeah. And will Vince ever step down anyway? The answer to that final question felt like it was a no. Every now and again, something would come out publicly that would make us scratch our heads about the true faith Vince McMahon may or may not have in his own children taking the lead. Was it true? Storyline? Media manipulation? No clue. But Hollywood couldn't write better TV than what we imagined was happening backstage. Shane would end up leaving again. Let go, fired, quit, who knows? But before that, we fans would find out that Nick Khan, a genius sports mega agent from CAA, was coming in to be the president of WWE. What did that mean? We didn't know, but he was the new scapegoat for us whenever releases or bad news happened. He also took over some of the mega, mega media deals that the WWE signed, guaranteeing their profitability for years and years, as well as furthering their identity as a global superpower of entertainment. This non-McMahon also fuels speculation of a WWE sale. Would the WWE be sold before Shane, Stephanie, or even Triple H could get their hands on it? Triple H became synonymous with NXT, a developmental territory that had become a third brand, creating a place that hardcore, true, passionate wrestling fans could get the content that they wanted, but remain under a WWE umbrella. It also became a place for independent and international talent once thought to not be a WWE type, to have a pathway to get to New York. When the NXT that we came to know and love did a complete 180, evolving into NXT 2.0, a product whose purpose, aesthetic, and content have less to do with the original NXT than the NFL does, speculation ran wild yet again. What does this mean for Triple H's power? What about the faith in his direction? Are we looking at a future where a post-Vince WWE will really be a post-McMahon WWE? Before Nick Khan, this was unthinkable to a lot of us. But now, our perception of where the power was coming from shifted. It's important to keep in mind that this is all perception. None of us really have any idea, but we all care so much about this product 
that its potential inner workings keep our brains active for hours on end. Of course, with Shane gone and NXT flipped, the non-McMahon theories really took off when Stephanie announced her leave of absence from WWE only a, a month or so ago. Without warning, concrete reasoning, or a timeline of when she'd be back, for the first time in her adult life, Stephanie McMahon was not working for WWE. I don't think any of us on the outside saw that turn coming. And after articles that, speculative as they may be, criticized her work performance behind the scenes, we wondered what capacity she'd be back in or if she'd be back at all. What nobody predicted was the prophecy of the billion-dollar princess becoming the boss, being forced into play only weeks later. Now, the soap opera is really moving. So what happens next? How did we get here to begin with? Will we ever know the true story, like from the beginning? Even with a McMahon in charge, a WWE creatively without Vince McMahon is a striking thing to think about. Of course, before this Vince McMahon, another Vince McMahon ran the company, but he ran it day and night differently from the current or former chairman. Vincent Kennedy McMahon saw the changing landscape and the way content was consumed, as well as the way characters were created, licensed, and sold across entertainment, and realized that wrestling, reimagined as sports entertainment, could be a ruler in this world. Forty years later, most of the sports and entertainment world still have not figured out exactly what Vince did and continue to play catch-up. Of course, Stephanie has been part of this world from the time she was a child. Her entire adult life has been spent working in so many different parts of WWE, one could argue that no one, save Vince himself, understands WWE and what it intends to deliver to its audience more than Stephanie. Coupled with Triple H, the one person who has the unique perspective of working with Vince McMahon directly, as well as performing for the audience on the bottom, middle, and top of the card as an active wrestler, it's tough to imagine a more fitting duo. Add to that Nick Khan, someone who in only a few years, two during a pandemic, has been able to add more value to the company than it has ever had and has been the first person to truly be able to utilize that value from a content and IP perspective, we as fans, as I said earlier, hypothetically, are in good hands. All this said, an investigation could go through, nothing could be found, and Vince could be right back to where we started. Or a lot could be found, and this change could be permanent. Maybe this change means nothing. Maybe it's just putting new names on a piece of paper. Maybe this change will mean everything and we're witnessing true succession or most likely some insane shit that none of us have thought of could be what happens next. And we'll text all our friends and we'll tweet and we'll speculate as we should. I'll probably have to write another essay. Vince's SmackDown address made huge news. The idea that a now former CEO currently under investigation for inappropriate activities, instead of keeping a low profile, would be jumping on national live network television to address an arena full of people? Unheard of absurdity that would only happen in our beloved world 
of professional wrestling. Guesses ran wild. Would Vince be blown up in a limo? Would Shane join via satellite from spring break? Would Steph show up to declare victory for the Alliance once and for all? Talk about new kayfabe. Reality became storyline instantly. None of these outcomes would be the case, however, as Vince simply showed up and reminded the SmackDown audience, the WWE's signature, then, now, forever, and, most importantly, he said, together. Somehow, his appearance only led to more speculation and more questions. Is this his version of Leo and Wolf of Wall Street yelling, I'm not fucking leaving? Is his emphasis on the word together simply to remind the audience to have his back on this one? Who knows? And who knows where this will go and what he'd hypothetically want us to have his back on? This story is not done, obviously. The Mr. McMahon character, at least in the short term, is. Mr. McMahon, of course, evolved from Vince McMahon, the voice of the WWE. For the better part of almost 15 years, Vince McMahon was the narrator of his own company. The straight man next to a usually heel-leaning, but not always, as was the case for Hot Rod Rowdy Roddy Piper and Macho Man Randy Savage, color commentator, Vince played the role of play-by-play man, opting for calls like, what a maneuver, in lieu of actually naming maneuvers. As the WWE shifted from the new generation to the Attitude Era, commentator Vince McMahon's actual role of WWE's head honcho became canon. Superstars including Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart would call out Vince's actual power, albeit subtly. Bret Hart would publicly negotiate his storyline contract, which matched up with his real-life contract, on the air with Vince McMahon. When Bret left and experienced the ultimate betrayal from the company he called home, the Montreal Screwjob, Vince did a worked-shoot-style interview explaining his position. An interview he may have thought would garner sympathy. Instead, did the opposite. Fans hated Vince as he blamed Brett for the situation that Mr. McMahon himself had created. Vince, however, would lead into those feelings, understanding the animosity the average viewer has for their boss. And from this incident, Mr. McMahon, the character, was born. Mr. McMahon was the tyrannical overlord of the WWE, a single-minded dictator who let his superstars know they could work with him or against him. He became the biggest villain in the business, the ultimate counterpoint to the superstar who would become the biggest hero wrestling had ever seen, Stone Cold Steve Austin. The Mr. McMahon character became a WWE staple. Even after Austin, the on-screen McMahon would terrorize superstars, starting the Kiss My Ass Club, humiliating on-screen characters so they could save their jobs, and most importantly, always, eventually, finding himself in the barrel. Mr. McMahon was kidnapped, humiliated, lost his company, and was even murdered twice. He battled Hulk Hogan, Shawn Michaels, even CM Punk. At one point, he thought he had illegitimately fathered a leprechaun. He even wrestled God and won. When it comes to the Mr. McMahon character, he really didn't need SmackDown. Technically, his last appearance at WrestleMania 38 was as great a write-off as any character could ever have. Not only presenting one last match 
with Pat McAfee way after Mr. McMahon should have been in the ring. But more importantly, taking the worst Stone Cold Stunner recorded in human history. This is the perfect exit for the character, not because of the distinct lack of athleticism, but because after nearly 25 years, the WWE's greatest villain was put down by his defining rival, Steve Austin. He even put over a young guy on his way out, casting Austin Theory as the final true protege of Mr. McMahon. And how does Stephanie McMahon's presence on air change? Stephanie is probably the second biggest villain WWE has ever seen, only behind her father. We watched her grow up in front of us, coming into the WWE as a virtuous young woman, the perfect picture of innocence for the Undertaker to kidnap and try to satanic marry to get back at Mr. McMahon. Her inadvertent marriage to Triple H, which evolved into a betrayal of not only the man she intended to marry, but her own father, created the Stephanie that we would all come to know. The Stephanie character was a, a natural heat magnet. After all, the only thing more hateable than an entitled billionaire is that billionaire's even more entitled offspring. Becoming a women's champion, running SmackDown, then Raw, then everything with Triple H, Steph was a natural and a staple on television for years. The characters and the people, of course, are two completely separate entities. And as big of a character as Mr. McMahon is in WWE lore, its importance is barely a side note compared to the impact of Vince McMahon himself. Whether we see McMahon on TV again is fairly inconsequential when compared to whether Vince runs the show. So is this the moment? Is this the time that fans have pondered over for years? Vince McMahon is still maintaining his role in creative for content in WWE, which is to say he's in charge. As far as CEO and chairman, those are roles he's given up on an interim basis while the investigation happens. I'm not going to pretend to talk about boards, voting power, and all of the other corporate intrigue that we know about from television shows because I have no knowledge of it. All that said, the family business is also a publicly traded business. Vince McMahon could be back in power never in three weeks or somewhere in between. Stephanie McMahon could be in a new position back at home or CEO for the next 30 years. I do believe that from a larger company perspective, we are witnessing WWE take the form of what it will look like going forward. Clearly, moves are being made as they always have to make sure that the company stays protected. Are we seeing Vince McMahon prepare his company for the future? The beginning of a real-life McMahon-Helmsley regime? Something in between? None of us know. But there has never been a time where this much is happening in wrestling this quickly. We are truly witnessing wrestling history. Some think Rome is burning. Others see a new empire being formed. I think most are just along to enjoy the ride. When Vince said that the WWE's signature most important word was together, that is probably true for him. WWE and wrestling as a whole do bond us, and they will bond us as long as it exists. But I'm a fan, and I think you are too. And as someone on the outside, 
watching this product day after day, week after week, decade after decade, regardless of who is in control, regardless of what must happen. The most important word to me in the WWE's signature is forever. Because what else am I going to watch? I think that surmised it pretty well. I think those are my thoughts coming off of uh, what is clearly the biggest story in quite some time, uh, as long as I can remember as a WWE fan. You know, it's uh, kind of unbelievable what's happening. Let's get to uh, 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 some emails. Let's open up the email box, the mailbag. The email address is notsamwrestling at gmail.com, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. And this being the 400th episode. Uh, last week, I asked you guys to write in with some of your uh, memories of the show, when you started listening, whatever impact the show has made on you. I don't know. Whatever you wanted to reflect on as we hit 400 episodes, which is just a, I mean, a, a mega mega milestone when you think about weekly podcasts it's just it's it's incredible to me it's it's still mind-blowing to me um i know that uh for me some of my favorite things that we've done on the show i i definitely have loved uh a lot of the live shows that we've done because of the interaction that i've had uh with you guys quite honestly i i you know getting to interview a lot of people on this show has been a major major thrill so whether it was the Summer Sam shows that we did, the show at, uh, where was it? That venue that's now closed in New York City or the show in Phoenix or I, I, there's been a bunch of live shows. The fact that that could be uh, uh, shared. I know that a lot of people still reach out to me today to talk about the fact that they had such a great time uh, being part of the, the interview with Sasha Banks. We did a live interview with Seth Rollins, live interview with Kevin Owens, Paul Heyman. You know, I mean, just, just, Real icons. Um, I know that, uh, you know, the first big hit was right after the Royal Rumble. Uh, it was when it aired. It, we actually recorded the interview right before the Royal Rumble. But it was when Roy Roman Reigns uh, won. It was probably Royal Rumble 2015 or so. Um, and people thought Roman Reigns came across like a villain. That was the first podcast to do really big numbers that I had. and uh, and And people we're actually theorizing that Roman Reigns came on this podcast uh, to turn heel. I can tell you now that that was never the intention. Uh, I didn't want to tell you at the time, but based on the fact that he did not turn heel, you probably guessed that by now. Um, you know, there's just so many. I, I, I did a, a phone interview with Shawn Michaels at one point where uh, he talked about his character. And he talked about the reason, and this was before the when he actually returned in Saudi. In Saudi. Um, but he he talked about his work and the character arc being one arc and not wanting to upset that. And it was the first time that I really realized that Shawn Michaels coming in as, as a rocker in the 1980s uh, is the same person telling the same story as the Shawn that was retired by The Undertaker all those years later. And, it, and, it, and, it, and really that one conversation made me look at everything differently. Made me look at character arcs completely differently. Um, uh, I always remember the the Daniel Bryan interview. All the WrestleMania radio radio rows have been so fun. Just getting to sit down at a desk and having people come through. Um, yeah, getting to talk to getting to getting to know people before they got to WWE. That's a lot of fun, you know. 
and 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 getting to interview people that have known me from the beginning. You know, having the Mick Foley's and the Chris Jericho's and even the Triple H's on that that have known me since uh, even before I was doing the podcast. Uh, that's an incredible thing. Um, you know, having people on that don't do wrestling podcasts. Michael Cole has been on this show. Find a podcast that Michael Cole's on, you know? Uh, every big name you can think of has been on this. So it's 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 remarkable. I mean, this podcast led to me sitting in Stone Cold Steve Austin's living room. That He texted me one day. This was probably not terribly long after I had started the podcast, but it was picking up some steam. It was ranking on iTunes and everything. And I woke up. It was a late night text. I remember I remember so many years ago now, man, so much has happened. But I remember waking up to go to my radio gig and having a text from Stone Cold Steve Austin saying that he had noticed the podcast. And, and if I'm ever in L.A., if uh, if I'd want to do his podcast. And I said, well, hell yeah. Played phone tag with him. And I'll never forget, too, when I finally got him on the phone, I go, hey, Steve, what's up, man? It's Sam. He goes, Sam. What are you doing? I was like, oh, well, me and my wife are just out getting some dinner. Oh, yeah? What are you eating? And it's just like, just a guy just just shooting the shit. And like, I, I still, to this day, to this day, that has established a relationship that I have a, a familiarity and a, and a friendliness with Stone Cold Steve Austin that, that, that completely blows my mind. But I, he was like, yeah, so let me know when you're going to be out in L.A. And I was like, I think I'll probably be out there in a few weeks. I had no plans of being out in L.A. And I mean, I booked a ticket. I finally made the call and I booked the plane ticket. I mean, a couple of days before I actually went and like texted him, hey, I'm going to be out there. Uh, is it cool? Is it cool to do the podcast? Is that a good time? Yeah, let me know when you're out here. No date, no anything. Let me know when you're out here. And I'm like, God damn it. I'm going to fly all the way to LA from New York. And this is when I did not have the money to do so. I'm going to fly all, not that I have, you know, but you know what I'm saying. I had no money. I'm going to fly all the way from LA to New York, from New York to LA and back. And he's going to tell me that there, you know, he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. He doesn't have time. And I'll never forget. I flew all the way out there. I had a couple of buddies out there. I stayed at uh, first half of the trip. I stayed at my comedian friend, Jesse Mae Peluso's house. Second half of the trip, I stayed at my friend Kevin Undergaro's house, uh, who created After Buzz, Maria Menounos, his husband, who's a great, great, great friend. But uh, he, uh, I remember sitting in Kevin's car, going like, no, 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 I'm staying at Jesse May's house for a little while, and blah, blah, blah. And the phone rang, and it was Austin. Hey, down here? Yeah, what about tomorrow? Or whatever it was. It was like a day or two's notice. I was like, hell yeah. And then he goes like, Hey, man, you got any mic cables? And I was like, yeah, I could do that. I was like, Kevin or Jesse May, whoever I was with, we got to go get mic cables. We got to go get XLR cables to bring to Steve Austin's house. We got the XLR cables. I found out his house was like a block away from where Jesse May Peluso was living at the time. It was so convenient. But yeah, we went there. We ended up doing the podcast. I was there with uh, Troy Kwan from the radio show. It was like, still to this day, one of the most surreal and amazing things ever. I was at his house for, we, we recorded two episodes of his podcast and then one episode of this one. I was there for five hours. Go back and listen to that episode. It was so funny too. We did two episodes of his podcast and I go, hey man. And I, sh I, I was like, they took balls. 
we were chatting and I was like, hey man, by the way, um, would you mind recording an episode of my podcast while we're here? He gave me this look and he goes, well, I don't mind, but I just wish you'd told me 45 minutes ago. <laughs> and then, you know, you can go listen to it. It's there. It's in the archives. It's just, it's just, there's so much there, dude. There's so many memories. There's so much good stuff. But let me get to some of your stuff. Let me get to some of your emails. Uh, Allie wrote in, this is not samwrestling at gmail.com. Allie wrote in, hi, Sam. Um, and by the way, Allie's the best. Hi, Sam. Uh, my first time hearing or listening to the show was episode 33. We're at 400. 33. Wow. You only missed, you, you caught 377 out of 400. Not bad, Allie. Where you interviewed Sasha Banks alongside Katie Linendahl. Yes, that was uh, when we, that was at NXT's first roadshow. When NXT, not the Florida Loops, when they went on the road for the first time and they were in Philly. It was the first outside of Florida house show that NXT did. And uh, uh, Joe Villa, WWE publicist at the time, hooked it up where I went down there with Miss Katie Linendahl, who was a big part of this podcast for a long time. Uh, and the two of us set up a camera and everything and, and interviewed, I think it was Sasha Banks, Kevin Owens, Finn Balor, and maybe Enzo and Cass. And then we ended up doing like a behind the scenes video and everything. And that show was so amazing because uh, we were, we didn't have seats, you know? And and uh, I was like, Joe, where, where are our seats? And he was like, oh. And it was like Ray Liotta in Goodfellas when he goes to the Copa. Joe just pulled two seats out from backstage and added them to the front row. It it was amazing. I remember uh, uh, Tommy Dreamer was a surprise guest on that show because uh, uh, he he was uh, we were in Philly and I snuck a can of Dr Pepper from backstage, which they didn't have at the concession stands, and I was drinking the Dr Pepper and Tommy used my Dr Pepper on that show. But yeah, that was the Sasha Banks interview. Um, haven't missed an episode since. That's 377 weeks. I appreciate that, Allie. Also, I loved having Katie on the show with you. I did too. I wish she was, uh, she's too busy now being a country music star and a tech guru to watch wrestling every single week. And she doesn't want to come on unless she's like uh, fully, you know, geniused out. But I'd love to have her back on. Uh, I also love uh, the drafting of Not Sam Wrestling rosters when you do them. Not Sam Backyard not Sam Wrestling, Backyard Wrestling. Yeah, we do that on Patreon. Um, I'll have to do another one of those. Congratulations on 400 episodes. Thank you, Allie. Uh, oh, this is great. Uh, Shiamo, who uh, writes in, uh, he sends in lists every single week, which I love. Um, it's usually like, you know, people who never won the championship or underrated pay-per-views. This week, it was four favorite episodes ever. Number one. Episode 352, Money in the Bank. Holy shit, that was good. I don't remember exactly. Obviously, that was uh, last year's Money in the Bank. I don't remember exactly what I said on that episode, but I remember being on such a wrestling high after that pay-per-view. Um, oh, recently, only seven weeks ago, episode 393, drafting the ultimate pro wrestling roster. Oh, that was a fun one. Uh, he also likes uh, number three, episode 44, Paul Heyman, live from Caroline's. And episode 371, best wrestling confrontation ever. Okay, this this is how fast time moves. Um, 
I don't remember what the best wrestling confrontation was ever. That was episode 371. So let me just uh, pop here in Spotify and scroll down to 371. Uh, that's 381. Because I'll probably be able to tell from the... Uh... Oh, that's just ranking best confrontations. Uh, I love that. Inspired by CM Punk and MJF. The best confrontations. That's great. Go back and listen to that. I Maybe I should. Episode 371. Uh, and that's the last one. Yeah, those are the top four. Thanks, buddy. Russell uh, from the UK chimes in. Sam just wanted to drop a line to say congratulations on the 400 plus episodes of the podcast. I started listening or uh, around the time NXT started to get red hot. Finn Balor debuting in there or thereabouts. Yeah, that was a good time for the podcast, man. In that time, you've gone from Sam Roberts wrestling to not Sam wrestling and have had a dreams come true rise to regular and longest running NXT pre-show host among many other fantastic WWE related moments. Thank you, Russell. That's very nice. Love the show. Love being a patron or a not Sam shill at patreon.com slash not Sam wrestling hashtag plug. Here's to the next 400 plus episodes. P.S. Will uh, we be seeing you in the UK for Clash at the Castle? I would love it. If anybody wants to do a live Not Sam Wrestling gig in the UK, hit me up, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. But until then, I have no plans to be there. And it's not because I don't want to be there. It's because I'm not booked. I'm not going to be there because I'm not booked. I want you to be there. I want you to be there, Sam. I want you to be at Clash at the Castle. Are you going to do it? rather be at Clash at the Castle than breathe. This one comes from Craig. Dearest Sammy, happy 400th birthday. I listened to your latest podcast in which you asked to hear listeners' favorite stories from the past 400 episodes, and it made me want to reach out again. Uh-oh. My story is a personal one. Way back in 2016, I had just returned from a year in Australia and picked up a temp job in London. You reached out on socials for volunteers to help transcribe your interviews so you could use quotes to promote to wrestling news sites to help grow the brand. I love marketing and I love wrestling, so I jumped at the chance. Oh, thank you, Craig. I transcribed a whole Samoa Joe interview and soon realized just how hard a job it was. Yeah, that's why I asked somebody else to do it. I completed the task and you were super grateful and kindly asked how you could help me. It motivated me to help myself, and I reached out to contacts and got myself a job in the media. Six years on, and I am editing two magazines in the UK, and it's all down to an opportunity you gave me. Jesus Christ, Craig. Thank you, man. That means a lot. I have yet to interview an actual wrestler, but will pencil that in as my next goal. I can hook you up. So I just wanted to say a personal thank you and even a bigger congratulations on hitting 400 weeks of episodes. It has been wild to see how you've grown from a podcaster to actual on-air WWE ta talent. Big love from across the pond, Craig. Craig, that is a very meaningful letter. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Um, it is crazy, crazy for me to think about that I've had any impact on anybody. So that's an amazing thing to hear. Thank you, Craig. Uh, Rob sends this one. Hey, Sam, I'm a big fan and a dedicated listener. A couple of my favorite memories are when you and had Adam Cole as a guest long before he was even in WWE. That's true. Uh, your conversations with Katie, when you, uh, 
and you're uh, when you were on a trip with your family, Europe maybe, yeah, and, and you talking about the family picture when you were proposing. That I don't remember, but that's great. I'm assuming, oh, oh, you just mean telling the proposal story? I don't know. Uh, I also went to a Wrestle Pro show in New Jersey and had a feeling you might be there. Uh, talking about your friendship with Pat Buck. That show had a cage match main event. Buck against J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T. However, one memory that really sticks out um, is where uh, I was wearing a Not Sam Wrestling podcast t-shirt. Uh, and before my shirt arrived, you changed the name of the show. <laughs> That's hilarious. Instant collector's item. Uh, cheers to you uh, and all your success. Many more. Sorry, the email cut off halfway through. That's why some of these sentences sound broken. I'd love to hear a real deep dive into some dream matches and programs that we didn't get to see. I'm, I've got a ton, as I'm sure you do as well. Best regards, Robbie. I appreciate you, Robbie. Um, and that's hilarious that you have one of the last Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast uh, t-shirts. And yeah, I love that I got to talk to Adam Cole uh, way back in the DZ. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's been so fun, dude, doing this podcast and making sure it was on every week. Uh, I did a podcast from, I believe it was a hotel in Bruges. I think we were in Bruges when I did the podcast um, and was able to upload it through hotel Wi-Fi. I recorded a podcast from the maternity ward uh, after my first son was born. Um, yeah, I've recorded, uh, obviously, podcasts in a, a great deal of different states and whatnot for uh, different hotel rooms after pay-per-views and everything. It's just, it's been a fun trip, man. I really appreciate all you guys, and uh, I appreciate you guys for giving me the opportunity to keep it going as long as you have. Uh, one more email that's just kind of related to last week's show. This is from uh, Philippos. Hello, Sam. I want to thank you for your last podcast about John Cena. When the time comes and John Cena retires, I believe that you should present the official retrospective documentary of his career. Your podcast was a tribute to John as a performer and as a human being. Oh, that's very nice. Many, many thanks from a Greek listener of yours, Philip. Thank you, Philip. And uh, yeah, I'm friends with Stavros. So uh, Stavi, baby. So, you know, and Giannis Papas, very many Greek comedians. So, you know, it's all good. Hey, man, I can't tell you guys how much I appreciate you and appreciate you guys being on this ride with me for the last 400 weeks or however many of the weeks that you've been on with me, even if this is, uh, if it's been one day. Jump on board now. Make up for lost time. Hang out with us for a while. It's fun, man. You allow me to talk about wrestling uh, and 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 make it a big part of my life's work. So thank you very much. I appreciate you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam.